I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I read something that you wrote about how your father had given you like a kilo of chocolate truffles when you were a baby. <laughs> when so I was one, one year, year old. old. A so kilo? <laughs> One kilo. A kilo of truffle chocolate when you were one year old. I've seen like a swarm of food startups that sell, that specialize (laughs) in selling dead bugs. Oh, swarm. So where do you get get your grass? Mayor es un guinea pig. Y cuando le doy a probar que no le gusta para no ofenderme, me dice, se queda pensando y me dice, it tastes like it's good for you. I've told her that being bilingual is a superpower that lets her communicate in two different ways. I tell her that if she develops this power, when she is an adult, she can build bridges and help others. Una vez más, aquí estamos en Don't Interrupt Me, por favor. ¿Y quiénes somos? Presentémonos. Hola, soy Lisa. Hola, soy Nick Leiber. Hola, yo soy Guillermo. Three people, three almost bilingual people, right? Are we bilingual? I don't know. You know, I grew, I did grow up speaking Spanish and English from from as far back as I can remember, because my grandmother, who's Cuban, lived with us. But I don't speak it every day anymore. And and I think in another episode we were talking about how your language that you use depends on uh, which language you use it in. So you know. Definitely, I'm strong-est in English, and um, I consider myself bilingual, but bilingual in the sense of I will always be learning more. ¿Y de dónde sacaste tú el español, Nick? Porque tú creciste en New York, right? Sí. Bueno, esta mañana, I was making uh, an omelet, and I was thinking about making an omelet in English. And I, I scrambled, I sort of, in a bowl, with a fork, I scrambled the eggs. O sea, boom, boom, haciendo boom. una tortilla francesa en inglés. No, no, well, oh. you know, it's interesting because if I had been thinking about making this um, omelet in Spanish, revolviendo the omelet or batiendo, the eggs, batiendo, it would have been, a, batiendo, it would have been huevos revueltos. And I think if the way you think about making uh, your breakfast, your eggs, will actually influence what comes out. So I had an omelet this morning. You could have <laughs> had huevos revueltos. But uh, to answer your question, uh, my Spanish came from a high school teacher who basically said, you're in a high school where you can coast. In my class, I'm going to fail you unless you learn this language. And unless you learn this language, you will fail. He said it many different ways. And I got very excited about Spanish. And I went to Spain. I live with a family and blah, 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 blah. But yeah, so I, I am not, I did not grow up bilingual, to answer your question. Sobre comida vamos a hablar hoy porque lo hemos dicho en, en el episodio 1, en el episodio 2, que ser bilingüe, Uh, usar dos lenguas. Yo no me considero bilingüe porque yo he nacido con el español, he crecido con el español y he aprendido ya muy mayorcito el inglés, pero yo convivo con las dos lenguas. Por amor. Por amor, por amor, por amor <risas> efectivamente. Eh, tengo un acento en inglés, obviamente. Hay gente que no tiene acento en ninguna de las dos cuando lo sí. utiliza, pero diré, un, diré una cosa que creo que es muy importante para todos aquellos 
que solo hablan una lengua y la otra la hablan con acento. Eh, a mí me encanta la gente que habla con acento. Yo creo que la gente que habla con acento son admirables. Y la causa de la admiración es porque cualquier persona, pensemos en esto, cualquier persona que habla con acento en una lengua significa que al menos habla otra. Well, the other thing that's really funny about accents is even in English, let's say if I go to the south of the United States, if I'm there long enough, I will start picking up that accent. And in fact, I was born in Durham, North Carolina, and I had that thick accent when I was a kid. Uh, my starring role in the uh, Wizard of Oz play at home was the Scarecrow, and I said, please put some brains in my head. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. So, that is how I spoke then, and so it doesn't matter what language you speak, I think your accent can change. Yeah, but sometimes your accent change and you're considered a local and sometimes your accents, you know, doesn't evolve. You consider uh yeah, where I are mean, you from? When you when, when everybody's yeah. asking you all the time, so where are you from? You realize that maybe you don't have the accent that people are supposed to have in the place. Yeah. Today. We were eating barbecue in South Carolina and my mom's boyfriend was there and he is from California. Um, and he started to speak with a South Carolina accent to the people who were making or bringing the food and drinks to our table and I thought Oh my God, we're going to get, they're going to throw us out of here. Um, but they didn't. I think, I think they, they believed his accent. Decía que la, la comida es parte de la cultura y, y el ser bilingüe es entender o, o manejarte. A lo mejor no las entiendes, simplemente te ha tocado eso, manejarte entre dos culturas. Y lo que comes eh, tiene mucho que ver. O sea, no comes lo mismo si naces hablando inglés que si naces hablando español o que si naces en un sitio distinto de otro. Eh, yo nunca entenderé la pasión de la gente de Estados Unidos por el peanut butter, por la mantequilla de cacahuete, porque me parece una cosa que, pues sí, bueno, que es, pues, pues si no tienen más remedio y estás muerto de hambre, pues bueno, pero vamos, como para ir todos los días al colegio con eso, no. Pero supongo que tampoco ningún estadounidense comprendería mi pasión cuando era pequeñito por comprar una barrita de pan y una bolsa de patatas fritas y hacerme un bocadillo de patatas fritas a... Tú explícale, bueno, explícale a cualquier español ahora mismo. Hablamos de una España hace muchos años, pero allí todos los niños estamos fascinados con el bocadillo, con la, la barrita abierta y nada más que patatas fritas, cerrado y menudo sándwich más espectacular para el colegio. Wow. Huh. Well, now, you know, now if you bring a peanut butter sandwich to school, uh, you can get in big trouble. There are a lot of nut-free classrooms as we've been really? learning the hard way, mm. at least in Brooklyn. ¿Uno tiene algún recuerdo de la infancia de la comida? Estaba eh, eh, leyendo el libro de Trevor Noah. Born a Crime, por cierto, que es un libro interesantísimo eh, sobre Sudáfrica antes de Mandela y Sudáfrica con Mandela y después de Mandela creciendo siendo lo que ellos llaman un color boy, o sea, ni blanco ni, ni negro, sino uh -huh. todo lo contrario y una de las cosas que dice es que es hoy en cualquier momento si él ve eh, brown bread en bologna es like boom, he goes back when he was 10, when he was 11 and was 12 and he was uh -huh. having that you know, But is it a happy association or not i don't know if it's happy or not. i think i think it's happy because i think his childhood is happy but yeah. uh, but uh but what i mean is like how powerful food is yeah that you see I mean, you know you 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 feel a smell and you see something and yeah. you 
What's your right. comfort food actually and, too? Yeah, and you go you go back to you know your I don't yeah. know your your childhood or the or your marriage or your or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, the food can bring you to places. At the same yeah. time, the same way of music can bring you to places. What's your comfort food, Lisa? Anything my grandma. And you can say it in a North Carolina accent. Oh no, I don't. I haven't had that accent oh. since I was about five. O en cubano, puedo decir yeah. en cubano también. Tampoco. No? Porque la guagua. Mi abuela no hablaba con acento. Cubano. Y no cocinaba tampoco. No, ella cocinaba. Bueno, pues que y co todas esas comidas son mis favoritas. ¿Y qué comidas, te, ¿y qué comidas te llevan a la, a, la, a la infancia? Arroz con pollo y también uh, huevo frito con arroz blanco. Y con el platanito. Arroz sí. a la cubana. Y con la salsa de tomate. Oh, qué rico, por Dios. ¿Verdad? Y tú no me digas que tienes recuerdos de, de Jewish deli, uh, the one with the uh, pickles and. Uh... Well, my, uh, my parents took some Chinese cooking lessons and they were very. Oh, really? They were very, very interested in, in learning how to make Chinese food. And they had woks and they had the whole nine yards. And I can remember like this big, deep wok full of bubbling peanut oil. Like it really scalded you. And my dad would get these little spare ribs and he would get the butcher to cut them like little quarter sizes, like the size of a quarter. And he would deep fry them and then he would coat them in sugar and salt or not quite salt. I think he used soy sauce and a few other things. And they were like spectacular. And then sometimes he would fry them again. And I can that was that was my my childhood comfort food. You know that smell, the scallions, the soy sauce, mm. the sugar. Sounds so good. The peanut oil, and then I and then I asked him for the recipe recently. At the bottom of the recipe, the chef whose name is Bruce Cost. At the bottom of the recipe, it said, "Whoever shares this recipe may cellulite grow on the bottoms of their whatevers." And he he like warned people not to steal his recipe, Ooh. basically. So I hope all curse. of you hope That's all of you curse. will really keep this a, sec a big deep uh, secret. Here. Otra cosa curiosa eh, sobre las culturas, hablamos de Estados Unidos y Lisa recuerda comidas cubanas, Nick recuerda comidas chinas. Eh, claro, estamos hablando de un país donde la emigración, la diversidad está ocurriendo en tiempo real. O sea, según hablamos nosotros en, you know, en you este know programa... Ketchup, you know ketchup is actually from China. Okay, whatever. Yeah, there's, there's this book, and there's this guy who actually won a MacArthur Award. It's a book called uh, The Language of Food, I think that's what it's called. And he starts off um, pretty early on in the book describing how fish sauce, the origins of fish sauce, and how people were preserving fish, and then that gloopy stuff that was left over after many twists and turns and tomatoes and Mexico and blah, blah, blah. The Chinese are actually credited with coming up with... with Todo viene de China o del Imperio Romano. Yeah. Pero, pero lo que iba a decir es que eh, culturalmente es interesante también que en un país como Estados Unidos, eh, ¿qué es la comida de Estados Unidos? ¿Cuál es la comida de Estados Unidos? Depende en cada casa que entres, depende a cada persona que le preguntes, depende en cada barrio que tú habites, eh, pero yo vengo de un país cada vez más distinto, pero durante mucho tiempo muy homogéneo, donde todo el mundo prácticamente comíamos lo mismo, es decir, lentejas los martes, paella los domingos, pollo los jueves. Por eso vamos a hablar hoy, uh, el tema es uh, acerca de comidas naturales. Y auténticas. Y auténticas también. Y creo que también afecta en lo que dijiste sobre allergies, también. Y creo que hoy vamos a hablar mucho sobre the uh, origin of food and the stories because yeah. nice yeah we should define actually what natural is versus organic because it's kind of confusing and many times i wonder is it better uh not to grow a lettuce 300 yards from my house polluting a little bit than getting a uh, organic lettuce from california and polluting during 500,000 miles on a truck and wrapping in plastic yeah. and all that yeah. yeah so i don't know it's a little uh, Common sense is needed here. And then, and then there's also the status element of it, too. Like, of course, you're trying to eat healthy so that you will be healthy, but 
some of it I think is signaling like I'm eating this organic dark chocolate bar that came rolled from the da 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 mountains of the blue 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 and I'm really cool because I'm eating this. Por favor, por favor, por favor, don't interrupt me. Con quién hablamos? We are extremely happy to welcome Fanny Gerson to be with us today. She arrived bearing goodies, and we have sampled some of her. She is known as a chef extraordinaire specializing in <laughs> pastries and ice cream from Mexico. So, Fanny, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm the chef founder of La New Yorkina, a Mexican sweets and ice cream shop, and uh, dough donuts. Entonces, ¿eres mexicana? Sí, mexicana. Mexicana, que, ¿cómo llegaste aquí a, a Estados Unidos? ¿Cuál es tu historia? Pues ya llevo 20 años aquí. Primero okay. llegué, estudié Upstate en una escuela que se llama el Culinary Institute of America. Oh, ya, yeah, ya, yeah, en el CIA, que sí. yo pensaba que era de espías, ¿no? La, la CIA. <ríe> Exacto, a mi yo, papá le encantaba decir. ¿Qué hace la sí, CIA en High Park? Ya, Exactamente. Ya, ya, sí. es, es, es casi como una academia militar, ¿no? El estudiar eh, comida, porque están todos uniformados, ¿no? Están todos con, en lugar de llevar pistola, lleváis esa cosa para recoger migas en el mantel, sí, ¿no? Sí, o más sí, como sí, médicos. Exacto. Y todo, sí, muy limpio todo, muy ordenado. Sí, todo muy limpio. Sí, yo, y hoy en día, ahora digo, cuando yo estudié, teníamos un estuche de de cuchillos y cucharas y así, pero hoy en día se usan muchas pinzas, oh. porque es ah. como todo muy delicado y le ponen mm. esos What? microgreens y cositas así, así ah, que yeah. sí, parece más como... Es más cirugía. <laughs> Pasó de ser militar a ser... A ser... Exactamente. There's a, there's a great line in, in Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain, where he talks about being at the CIA in the early days um, of his career, and he would take little flavor packets and stir them into the soups, and he would... He would get the highest grade because he had added MSG to ah, the... That's right. I, yeah. I forgot about that. But it's so cubitos, true. Los cubitos magui. Que salvan la vida a muchos cocineros. No, de hecho, yo en ese entonces eh, era vegetariana por cosas de salud. ¿no? Y este, Pero estudié, no estudié repostería, estudié cocina en general. Y mm, muchos de los profesores eran europeos. Entonces, cuando yo llegaba y les decía que no iba a probar la carne o que no podía hoy, o sea, nada más como que <ríe> sus miradas así de bueno, pero no creas que vamos a a darte algún como trato especial o algo a la hora de calificar y dije, no, no se preocupen, y la verdad desarrollé el sentido del olfato mucho, porque no la sal no te huele, mm. pero lo que sobresale cuando le echas la sal ah, y claro, es, sí, y la sal despierta, decían, la sal despierta los aromas exacto, no exacto, sí. una muy buena Buena manera de, de decirlo. <risa> Despierta los aromas y mmm, era muy chistoso porque decía que la gente que no era de Estados Unidos generalmente sazonaba mucho más, como que nuestra, estamos acostumbrados a comer con más mmm, sazón. I think a lot of it is also kind of nostalgic and just kind of finding my own uh, I want to ask you about that because I read something that you wrote about how your father had given you like a kilo of chocolate truffles when you were a baby. <laughs> when so I was one, one year old. old. A so, kilo? One kilo. A kilo so, of truffle chocolate kilo when you were one year old. So yes, that's, that's yes. Like, that's Can you like ate the whole thing? 
Well, I don't think all of no. it ended up in my stomach. Oh, okay. It was oh. like a, it was like a chocolate bath. It yeah. was yeah, it was right? exactly. So right? it was you know it was a spa. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which they use chocolate in spas. You're right. You're yeah. right. He was ahead of the game. He was so you know? ahead. And and you know I wanted to talk to you a little bit about chocolate and your cooking and as well in the origins of chocolate because I know it's a word that's an Aztec word yeah. originally chocolate. Yeah. And uh, and so one thing that really intrigues me about all your your cookbooks you know everything is the stories you tell yeah for me um i love the story aspect and the the research out of everything that i do the thing that i think i enjoy the most is the research Mm. Uh, because and then you know what i can do with that research which is to share it whether it's through the stories in the book or uh you know what inspires me to make at the at the shop or you know just sort of that how that story becomes a new but your research is not in a library in a dusty library tell us about your (laughs) research uh, in las calles de mexico yeah so the research uh, so my first cookbook uh is called my sweet mexico and i had the fortunate uh opportunity to travel for a year um you know like not exclusively but sort of like do do the writing and the research throughout the year. And I went to all around Mexico in search of just anybody that did any kind of sweet, okay. whether it was breads, confections, beverages, anything, and just try to capture the story. Now, people in Mexico are very, as we say, celosos, like very jealous, very protective of their recipes. They so don't want very, you to copy the recipe, Yeah, right? very few people gave me the recipe. That's called insecurity. That happened in Spain many times. <laughs> yeah. And, and while well, you guys have a little bit of Spain in you. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, that, that, uh, that idea that uh, if they know they're going to do it better than me. No, you do it great. You do it great, man. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about, about this idea of stories. You like stories. You like I love stories. So do you think, do you think that you're in the U.S.? People want to hear these stories more than they used to, that they're looking for this, I don't know, authenticity or real stuff or something sourced from Oaxaca. Do you feel like this? there's been a change in what people want? Yes and no. Okay. <laughs> I think that there's uh, a lot of people that are very interested and curious and seek out bread, but I feel a lot of those people are always, you know, have, have always been interested, but now there's much more... Uh, availability and there's much more to research at the same time it can become confusing you know it can be overwhelming like where do they go where do they source where do they you know and I think there's a lot of um, there's a word in in Mexico we use is called fantoche do you have that in Spain yeah fantoche I think uh, some fantoches came from Spain to, <laughs> to this area of the world so it's it's kind of like uh, you know people say may say things may uh Say they're looking for that, but then they're not really like it's not it's not authentic. Uh-huh. Yeah, a little snob, I will say. You I'm know, like a that you That's are a in, the know, in the know how. Fantoche. Right? So, yeah. Yeah. Like, so uh, it's like oh, it's a fake. It's a uh, fakeness. I, I I ate Fanny's great donut, and I'm pretty cool because I ate the donut. And, you or, know, and, and and she sourced it from. So look at me. I'm yeah. So, cool. so look at me. I'm so cool. Uh, like, yeah, but that, you, know, you, you are really cool because you ate her donut. <laughs> So there's nothing fake about that. No, no, but 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 people say people may say like, oh yes, I want to support all these businesses that are you know women owned or minority owned or you know these things, and then they come 
or that maybe they don't come or if they come and I'm not just saying like to my store yeah. there's like a double standard porque that's tiene que haber porque tiene que haber creo say. siempre eh, dos niveles un nivel es que tú tienes que hacer una pastelería buenísima y yo la voy a comer independientemente de lo que tú hagas con los beneficios sí. y luego si la persona que está detrás del negocio pues tiene conciencia social y tiene inquietudes estupendo que haga lo que sea y yo puede que me coma el donut sabiendo que efectivamente tú estás ayudando a una minoría, que me parece muy bien. Pero si yo me como el donut y no sé nada de ti, a ti te tiene que dar igual, porque tú eres la que sabes que estás haciendo algo interesante. Exactamente. Exactamente. Pero lo que estás haciendo might get people into your shop to begin with. So that's yeah. the story. The stories. The stories. Yeah. Yeah. Y para mí, siempre digo que es sort of like, I feel extremely proud of what we do and everybody that, that goes, um, everybody that works with us. But for example, at, at La Nierquina, because we have, which is the Mexican ice cream and sweet shop, uh, our, our advantage is our disadvantage. Meaning, like for me, we have an, a really unique and special offering that nobody has in New York at that, at that level or that. Tell us, tell us more about that. So, you know, we have one space where you can have, uh, you know, in the heart of the city that makes, you know, really... No, we have it's sort of like I say we we have a we make great ice cream, great sweets, pastries, paletas, everything, and it just happens to be Mexican inspired. And I say that distinction instead of saying it in a different way because people a lot of people come and I've gone to observe this in other uh you know with friends and colleagues that are in the same you know they make sweets or they make ice cream uh but they're either American or European and there's this kind of assumption that because it's Mexican it should be worthless mm. that it should cost less uh and 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 that is also like the Mexicans coming in or even us, you know, when, when we're charging, you know, when, you know, we're kind of shy, no, but people aren't going to, instead of owning sort of all of these things that go behind the making it, you know, the so quality. Good, good for so, you that you're changing the perception. Good for you. But it's, it's but been, it's, a, hard. it's, it's hard. hard. It's yeah. hard. It's, it's, it's tough, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm like, well, and it's also, and, and as, as a woman owned business, that's another layer. Like I talk about this a lot with my, um, sort of peers, you know, the, the women in the industry are often very shy in terms of, uh, you know, how to charge or, yeah. you know what I mean? It's yeah. even, I mean, there's all these studies about like how these, you know, women in general, like don't, they value their work, but they don't. They say, uh, they say women are great or uh, helping other people. Like if you think that Nick is not making enough money in yeah. his job, you will go and, and speak out hey, hey this guy should but exactly. for yourself, but for yourself. You're very so and, and i think that that's uh you know i'm learning <laughs> <laughs> you were talking earlier about uh sourcing ingredients and i was looking through i have a copy here of your mexican ice cream book which i might even be inspired to try making the avocado ice oh, cream for my husband do. because mm. he yes. loves avocados um but you had some interesting ones too with grasshopper toppings rose petals uh where is where where am i going to find all these ingredients ah eh, so some are a little bit harder than others like the grasshoppers 
but uh, nowadays honestly with the internet and it's there's there's even specialty online stores uh, specific to Mexican yeah. food and whenever they can't like I always put somewhere in the book like they can reach out to us and we usually have those ingredients oh, good. and uh, we either can send it to them or we can try to point them in the right direction and then something like the rose petal you can find them pretty much anywhere. The harder, the hardest thing at the is the Broken Botanic Garden. It. You can get them for free. <laughs> exactly. They will exactly. chase you. Yes. Dicen que es más importante el esfuerzo que el resultado. O sea, que si quieres hacer el helado de, de aguacate para tu marido, pelas el aguacate, lo, le pinchas un palo, lo metes en el congelador yeah. y, que lo, y que lo chupe. Y va, y va a quedar. Y va a quedar. But I have to say, the rose petals reminded me of one of my favorite movies and books of all time, Como Agua para Chocolate. Yes. The, the quail, was it quail? In yeah, it was the rose quail with the rose sauce. petals. Oh. Yeah. That and was... that, talk about food with, you know, a sensual connection the hardest thing about the rose is to find one without pesticides because nowadays it's really difficult but to be honest when i was doing the recipe testing it was i did they weren't always available because it wasn't that time of year so i had to do it with pesticides and i seem to be okay and the, <laughs> yeah, and the, the grasshoppers um i guess I've seen a, like a swarm of food startups that sell, that specialize in, sell, in selling dead bugs. Oh, swarm. Where, yeah. where get, so where do, you get, where do you get your grasshopper? We get it from a pesti- company. Pesticide free. Yeah. yeah, they're pesticide-free, organic. I don't know what, what veg- that means. Vegetarian. Saltamontes vegetarianos. No comen hormigas ni gusanos. We get them through a company called Merci Mercado, and they specialize in insects from Mexico. Um, And actually, there's a a new... Qué negocio más bueno, eh. Vengan a casa, llévense todas mis moscas. Y véndanselo véndanselo a los yankees, que lo van a comprar encantado. They'll buy anything. You know, back when I was in school, this is a long time ago, like two decades ago, makes me sound older than I am. But (laughs) how old are you? You know, you started at age five. You're 42. Yeah, I'm 42. Um, But when I was in school, I wrote an essay about how I thought insects were the future of the food. Yeah, like future foods. And now I feel it's starting. And there's a great company that just started. Uh, making it's called Seek Food, and they do insect flowers. Um, you know they're high in protein, gluten free, really nutritious, and it's it's actually really delicious. It and has like a nutty. What's their main it. bug that they use? That they <laughs> uh, I think crickets. Crickets, and do oh, they yeah. have like a special? I don't know, like a special grant, a special mill to do this? I think so. Yeah, they because, must have. Yeah, they of, must have. You know, doing flowers different from doing. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I should ask them. Yeah, there, there's a like a cookbook that they put out, uh, and so they had different chefs as contributors, and Seek. I did a recipe for them. Yeah, Seek called food. Seek. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm excited about that because you know we have it at the store. We have uh, as a topping the grasshoppers. Like oh, you the, do. they're spicy. Oh. Um, they're from Oaxaca. And so they they have a little bit of smokiness and because it's very common to to eat them there as a snack. And I actually tried them at, at an ice cream shop there for the first time with the tamarind. That's what, it, you know, I talk about that in the book. Son como comer patatas fritas, ¿no? Eh, ¿Qué diferencia entre comerse un saltamontes y comerse una gamba? Es decir, que es todo cultural, sí, ¿no? es cultural. El primero que se comió una langosta, 
tenía que tener unas agallas impresionantes. O sea, ver sí. esa cosa en el mar y decir, pues, ¿sabes qué? Me lo voy a comer. ¿eh? Vamos a hacer un brainstorming aquí, cojundo, para tu próximo libro. Ok. It's going to be Muy about bien. insects. Okay. Wait, wait, what is your, you are doing a book right now. Oh, what, is right? what is it oh. about? Well, I, I'm not doing it yet, but it's, uh, I just sent out the proposal, so I'm hoping. So you're not going to tell us? No, I don't want to jinx oh, it. Oh, pues entonces, pues entonces queda despedida. No, 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 no. But, but, but I do want to. No, no, se termina la entrevista aquí. No, no, ya que no, ni, you don't want anything. Adiós, muchísimas no, no, gracias por venir. Llamamos a Madeleine Albright. Exacto, exacto. No, but I, but I do want to write. I, I have a four month old. And so Aww. I, you know, I'm just so in love. And talk about avocado. We just gave him his first food, which was avocado from Aww. Mexico oh, for nice. the first time Aww. a few days ago. And I want to write like a children's. Yeah, watch, like, watch out. He can start eating cook, bugs cook. nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you got a kilo of chocolate from your That's father, and, and the mom gives you know, yeah, you know, maybe yeah. a kilo, a kilo of, of cricket. There's a tendency for the babies to put in the mouth everything they eat. Los kids always have a chocolate or a kilo of... Muchas gracias por estar con nosotros. Muchas gracias. Muchas gracias por tus marranitos que vamos a disfrutar eh, cuando terminemos este programa. Y, Espero que les guste. Y queda el nombre de la New Yorkina en sí. nuestra memoria para ir a visitarte. Y Joe Donuts, Sí, por favor. Ahí los esperamos. Vale. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Esto se llama Don't Interrupt Me, por favor. Y estamos hablando entre inglés y español. Hacia un lado, hacia el otro, moviéndonos en medio. Como tanta y tanta gente se maneja en el mundo, el 50% de la población mundial es bilingüe. Aquí en Estados Unidos mucha gente es bilingüe en español y en inglés. En otros sitios la gente habla otros idiomas distintos. Y hay casos muy curiosos de, de la vida de la gente que se maneja entre dos idiomas. Uh, Lisa tiene un artículo entre las manos. There was an article that caught our attention. My name is Maria Anglin. I'm a columnist based in San Antonio, Texas. The following column was published on mysa.com, a website of the San Antonio Express News, under the headline, Being Bilingual is a Superpower. My daughter, an American girl who has been called Cosita Preciosa and Muñequita Linda by her family members since she was a baby, is learning to speak Spanish. Like most Mexican-Americans in South Texas, she's been around Spanish all of her life, and she's learning to speak Spanish fluently and with confidence, while she learns how to speak English fluently and with confidence as well. She can have conversations in both languages, but because she's a kid, she still can't define or even spell complicated words. She doesn't use words such as falso or de fantasía, but she will say de mentiritas or chirrin chin chin. She understands the difference between usted and tú, but she still gets confused with ustedes. Mr. Gonzalez, the bilingual head custodian at her school, gave her a piece of advice. Learn one word in Spanish, just one word, every day. 
She looks for Spanish speakers at school and when we're out and about so she can use her skill. From time to time, she asks me to give her a new word to add to her collection. I've told her that being bilingual is a superpower that lets her communicate in two different ways. I tell her that if she develops this power, when she's an adult, she can build bridges and help others. I remind her of this when she comes to a point in a conversation when she has to switch back to English, cuando se le acaban las palabras. It's a process, I explain, and if she keeps at it, she'll get there someday. But a classmate who doesn't speak or understand Spanish told her something else. I don't like it when you speak Spanish because I don't understand, and it makes me think you're talking about me. I was reminded of this exchange when a lawsuit came to light recently regarding the use of Spanish by employees at a local hotel and resort. Reportedly, workers speaking Spanish were made to feel uncomfortable because their Spanish was making others, well, uncomfortable. Of course, making paying guests uncomfortable as a, at a resort isn't going to solve dance lessons, but it sounds as if the issue is among staff members and their superiors. Sadly, it's the same old story that's played out in South Texas for generations. I don't speak Spanish, so you have to speak English. Even if speaking Spanish means you're more comfortable. Ni modes, compadre. But we have choices. We have to choose. We can choose to speak English and Spanish. We can choose to respect everyone in the room, including those who choose to talk among themselves, regardless of which language they use. We can choose to understand that only mutual respect moves us forward, and we can learn from our past mistakes. If we learn these lessons one at a time, soon we can all have superpowers. Nice. Yeah, very nice. Very heart, very heartfelt. Mm -hmm. And it makes me wonder if, if, um, if you have rules that you use when you're deep in conversation with someone in English or Spanish or another language, and you notice that some people aren't, don't speak that language and they've entered the room or they're sitting next to you. Do you suddenly switch? Do you? I'll tell you something. I was in, uh, estaba in, in Washington, uh, DC, la semana pasada. Y tenía que dar una conferencia sobre un tema que es de la guerra de independencia, de la Revolutionary War. Y, bueno, es sobre España-Estados Unidos. Podía haberlo dado en español o, o en inglés. Pregunté, ¿todo el mundo habla eh, español aquí? Claro, hermano, todo el mundo. Y una persona no levantó la mano. Y entonces le dije, ¿do you understand uh, Spanish? And she went like, mm -hmm. so I understood she didn't. So, yeah. well, I mean, you're in a place where... Everybody else understand English. Why are you going to go in Spanish? You know what I mean? Uh, uh, para mí es mejor hablar en español. Sí, es mi lengua madre. Yo hablo mucho mejor en español que en inglés. Insultas en español. Me, me y, bueno, el, el otro día me, equivo me equivoqué en el podcast y dije eh, que cuando insulto, I go to English, I go to Spanish. Cuando, yeah. cuando insulto. Era, yeah. Mi intención era decir eso, pero luego cuando escuché el, ah. el podcast eh, eh, vi que decía en inglés era en español. Pero te quiero decir que yo creo que hay una cosa que es el respeto, ¿no? O sea, de... En mi familia hablamos en español en inglés, pero si hay gente que no entiende el español, hablamos en inglés. Si hay uh -huh. gente que no entiende el inglés, hablamos en español, ¿no? Uh -huh. La vida, creo, no lo de ser bilingüe, sino la vida consiste en hacer agradable la estancia a la gente que está a tu alrededor. Y eso es como jugar al frontón. Si la pelota la tiras contra la pared despacio, te vuelve despacio. Si eres amable, la gente suele ser amable contigo. Si la tiras fuerte y le das en las gafas, te suelen devolver la pelota fuerte y tampoco la coges tú, ¿no? Uh -huh. yeah. And then the, las apuestas, it's really hard to make money, which yeah. is really the whole point, right? <laughs> bueno, estoy de acuerdo porque mi familia también 
hablábamos siempre con, con mi abuelita en español, pero si ella no estaba presente, hablábamos en inglés entre nosotros. Yeah. Así que así depende de... Pero siempre hay alguna persona, ¿no? There's always somebody who will be offended and you can help it, right? Like if, if you and me are speaking Spanish in a corner and somebody yeah. just is, doesn't belong to our conversation, to our life, to our, you know, and suddenly is feeling funny. Yeah. And could be, you know, a little aggressive about it. So a veces pasa eso, pero bueno, yo que sé. Yeah. No, I love that episode in Seinfeld where uh, George's dad is in the... Uh, beauty salon and he's he speaks korean from <laughs> korean war and then he hears them they don't know they don't realize that he speaks it <laughs> they're talking about him and then he immediately goes into you know responds in, in korean and he hears his girlfriend from back in the war talking this is hilarious hay una historia eh, que a mí me parece apasionante que yo le escuché a un político español se llama enrique mujica que fue el, el defensor del pueblo el ombudsman del, del parlamento español y se la conté el otro día a Madeleine albrecht en la entrevista porque a ella le ha pasado algo parecido y lo que le pasó a enrique mujica es que él nació y creció en el país vasco y sus abuelos maternos eh, hablaban eh, euskera, el, el, oh, yeah. el vasco, ¿no? Uh -huh. Pero él no, los, no lo entendía porque él creció hablando y aprendiendo español. Entonces hablaban en español en la casa y los abuelos, eh, en su rollo, euskera. hablaban en euskera. Y el hermano de Enrique, el mayor, se va a estudiar a París, eh, a la universidad o al bachillerato, no me acuerdo ya, y le llama un día por teléfono a Enrique y le dice, Enrique, eh, ¿estás, ¿estás sentado? Pues siéntate, que lo que hablan nuestros abuelos no es euskera que hablan yiddish y que somos no, judíos. No. Wow. Somos judíos. Wow. Ah. Y a Madeleine Albright le, pareció, le, para, le pasó una cosa muy parecida. Madeleine Albright creció en... Uh, she was born in Prague. They moved from, uh, you know, to uh, England during the war. Then they moved back to Prague. Then they have to move to the United States. And she uh, was raised as a Christian. So when Madeleine Albright was uh, uh, named Secretary of State by Clinton, uh, uh, apparently a journalist from the New York Times, you know, did a lot of research about her to do a biography. In reading the biography about herself in the New York Times, she found out that she was a Jew uh -huh. and that 26 members of her family uh, actually died in the in the concentration camps. She didn't have a clue. She oh didn't have a clue. Their, wow. Her parents never told her. Can wow. you imagine well, finding it, that out that way? I know, I know. Amazing. But I mean, you know, that that's, that's what happened, you know, when your your whole family is in jeopardy. You don't want to yeah. put your, your daughter in risk. Sure. You know? Amazing. It's like it's like finding out that ketchup actually isn't from isn't America. <laughs> I don't know. My name is Saskia Sarosa. I'm the founder of Fresh Bellies, a new baby food company that is changing the way kids eat. We are out of New York. We're a small startup with uh, five employees and an expensive network. Estamos en Don't Interrupt Me, por favor. Estamos hablando con Saskia, que se ha lanzado a darles de comer a los bebés, primero de Estados Unidos y luego supongo que a otros lugares del mundo, mejor de lo que les estamos alimentando. Pero la pregunta del millón es, cuando uno crea una empresa de comida para adultos, Siempre hay adultos que pueden probarlo o uno mismo puede probarlo. Pero cuando hace una empresa de comida para bebés, ¿quiénes han sido los guinea pigs? Tus hijos, eh, cada vez que te veían con una cuchara de un color distinto, salían corriendo por el pasillo. 
Sí, la, la, mis hijas, la mayor, es un chiste porque ella me dice, ella es mi guinea pig. La, la chiquita come lo que sea, pero la mayor es un guinea pig. Y, y cuando le doy a probar que no le gusta para no ofenderme, me dice, se queda pensando y me dice, mm, so, it tastes like it's good for you. Lo cual quiere decir que no le gusta, pero ella sabe que se lo tiene que comer because it's healthy. Yeah. Interested in in your in where you grew up because I think yeah. that influenced um, what you what you started. So you grew up in Gua Guayaquil. I did. I grew up in Guayaquil, Ecuador. Uh, born and raised, and graduated high school down there. Uh, and then I went. To, I came to the U.S. to go to college. I went to George Washington University in D.C. and uh, and then just stayed. I uh, graduated college and started to build my career here. Um, but you know, my upbringing was very much around food in Ecuador. My, my dad was a farmer. He uh, worked in bananas in the exportation of bananas. We grew up on a banana farm, uh, growing cacaos and cows and making our, our own cheese. Uh, and so, and at some point he also had his own restaurant, uh, in Ecuador, um, of Spanish food. So, You know, we I very much grew up in the kitchen and around farming, which um, just really sort of started that interest um, that I had from a very early age on on food and how t food is transformed from the soil into something incredible on a plate. Y déjame que te pregunte una cosa. Cuando llegaste sí. a Estados Unidos, eh, ¿echaste de menos los sabores de Guayaquil? Muchísimo, muchísimo. Es lo que más extraño todavía. So let's go back to uh, uh, Saskia in New York. I started on, on the PR side, working at um, big multinational firms, and then moved over to the National Basketball Association, doing marketing, consumer marketing for them for 11 years. And then, uh, and then I, so, so I was always in that world, 20 years in the corporate world. And then when I had my daughters is really when the itch of food and growing up around good food um, sort of flew into my brain again. And, and, and it's when the itch started of, you know, wow, the way, the way I grew up around food and my relationship with food today is very different than what I see around me. And it's very different than what I see kids eating in the U.S., And I wanted to make sure my daughters had the same experience that I did. Uh, and, and in a country where everything's so convenient, I couldn't find anything that I would just pull off the shelf and give to my daughters. Um, and so that's where I, I, I the, the kitchen started pulling me again, is, um, is when I had kids. So, uh, so I started, I had my first daughter. I started making all the food myself. Um, and a lot of the flavors from Ecuador were infused into the food I was feeding her from the moment she took her first bite you know, onions and garlic and parsley, um, rosemary. And then I had my second daughter and I realized that making all of the food myself was just not sustainable while I had a full-time corporate job. Um, and so I, I, I thought, you know, geez, there's a huge gap in the marketplace with baby food. Kids are eating sugars. There's a huge problem with childhood obesity and it's just getting worse. Uh, and all the science is pointing towards those very first bites that babies take, uh, you know, around six months and how that starts to form their palates. And I decided there's a, there was a need for something like the food I was making for my daughters. There was, there was a need for that type of food in the baby food category. Uh, so I partnered with an executive chef and because I had never worked in a commercial kitchen. Um, so I knew that wasn't my strength, even though I liked the kitchen. Uh, and we found a commercial kitchen out in Mamaroneck, New York. We got all of our 
licenses and um, USD and FDA approvals to start producing. And we went into the kitchen and started making the food. And what were you saying to yourself as you launched this? I, you know, from the very beginning when I started this, I, my mission was if I can play even a small role in making, in helping kids be healthier and reducing the rise in childhood obesity, then I will have done my job. So uh, Saskia, around 1987, there was a movie that came out called Baby Boom. Um, and I was wondering um, if you've seen it and if you relate to the character of Diane Keaton at all. Um, she was a woman in the corporate world who um, ended up switching gears completely after she kind of inherited a baby and she went from being, you know, surrounded by men in the corporate uh, boardroom to starting her own gourmet baby food business. And I think possibly mirroring a lot of your, your initial days at farmer's markets and so forth. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I need the P&Ls on Atlantic Overseas. I also need the latest ZBBs and PBBs. And Robin, I want you to get me the CEO of IBC AS. Are you telling me that I inherited a baby from a cousin I hadn't seen since 1954? I can still count on you seven days a week, 48 hours a day. It's uh, it's the it's what I get compared to every single time ah. I tell people what my background is, okay, uh, and what I'm doing now. Okay. Um, espera, 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 pero explica para la gente que no ha visto esa película en qué consiste la película para que tú te sientas tan identificada. Una, yo no me siento identificada con ella, pero mucha gente me identifica con ella ah. eh, por por lo que vengo de de una oficina, un mundo corporativo y me lancé por inspiración de mis hijas. Y la nutrición, a, a empezar una compañía de comidas de bebé que no tiene nada que ver con lo que yo hacía anteriormente, que es muy similar a la historia de la mujer, aunque, aunque ella heredó una niña y fue por eso que se inspiró a, a hacer algo mejor en el mercado. Pero, pero mucha gente me identifica con, con eso, which is, is interesting. Por un lado, tus hijas te inspiran a lanzarte al mundo de la empresa. Pero por otro lado, ¿no es muy difícil para una mujer lanzarse al mundo de la empresa con hijas pequeñitas? Muy. Y no solo al mundo de empresas, al mundo de comida. El mundo de comida está dominado en, en, en every single aspect uh, by men. So it's very hard uh, as a woman entrepreneur in the food space uh, to, to build a company. It's very hard. Um, you're sort of swimming upstream. Yeah. And when you went to conferences, food conferences, it was all men. And when and it's when everywhere, the, it's yeah. uh, it's you know it's, the food industry is very uh, elaborate. There are many layers to it in the U.S. And you know everything from the distribution side to the brokerage side to the actual retailers to the investors. It's all primarily men. Uh, so everywhere I go, every meeting I have, every conversation I'm. Um, you know, trying to explain what I'm doing, it, I'm usually having that conversation with a man. So when I had my own newspaper, it was called Tucson Parent, I bonded with other entrepreneurial mothers, and we even started our own support group called Mothers on the Move. We called it Mom. Do you have any female friends you turn to who are going through similar challenges? I have many. Yeah, I absolutely have uh, female friends. We also have female investors uh, that have been wonderful in supporting our mission and our, our company and um, helping us sort of live out what we want to do with Fresh Bellies. 
and then we also have female, you know, sort of fellow entrepreneurs that are women that have been um, an important part of, of getting me through a lot of the challenges and, and a lot of the hurdles that we face. La comida y los gustos de la comida para bebés que tú has puesto en marcha. O sea, supongo que, claro, en el mundo ecuatoriano, si tienen los sabores ecuatorianos, habrá sido la acogida magnífica. Y en el resto de los humanos, ¿les parece raro de repente que la papilla del niño sepa a guacamole? <risa> bueno, no sabe a guacamole. Empezando... <risa> eh, no, ¿Sabes que eh, eh, Nosotros... Fue un momento muy oportuno para nosotros lanzar esta compañía porque la lanzamos en el momento que empezó a cambiar la, rec la recomendación pediátrica en Estados Unidos. Okay. Eh, hoy en día, o sea, hace incluso cuatro años cuando yo tuve mi última hija, la recomendación era... Eh, Comida blanda. Eso de mi última hija no se sabe muy, nunca. ¿eh? Yo conozco, conozco muchos regalitos de Dios. ¿eh? Eh, la recomendación, as, as, as early as four years ago, la recomendación era comida blanda, frutas, eh, ingredientes, single ingredients, eh, no, no sazonar. Y hasta los allergens no se recomendaba introducirlos hasta el año. Y hoy en día, cuatro años más tarde, la recomendación pediátrica es completamente lo opuesto. Es sabor desde el principio, entrenar paladares desde el, desde el momento que toman su primer mordisco, eh, allergens a los seis meses, porque eh, es comprobado ahora por research, scientific research que the earlier you, you introduce allergens, the less likely they'll have allergies later in life. Eh, and the earlier you introduce flavor, the less likely they'll be picky and have eating issues as they get older. My wife has been telling me this for for years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is kind of crazy that we're the only culture in the world that approached baby feeding the way that we did for so long. Uh, it was primarily driven by a category that was, you know, just feeding kids sugar because it was the easiest thing to feed them because they would eat it. Uh, but what we, what, you know, the research is showing now is that because eating is a learned behavior, what we've created is a generation of kids who only want sugar and won't eat what they're supposed to eat to, to be Yeah, and, and child, you know, children that are entitled is like they don't want to eat it, they don't eat it. Uh, exactly. I, grew up, I grew up in a country where, you know, no te levantabas de la mesa hasta que te terminaba la comida y te tocaba, sí, te gustaba, sí. no te gustaba, sí, te sí. dejaba de gustar. Pero, pero sí. guess, guess what? I'm really open-minded when yes, I have to right. try other food. That's right. That's exactly right. This, this culture is completely backwards in relation to every other culture in the world where kids eat what the adults are eating. Now, when our product is in market, people aren't asking, questioning why there's garlic in there. They're actually very happy to see something that that is sort of... Um, You know, meeting the need or, or what the pediatrician is recommending that they feed their kids, that's not currently offered. So now they can find something that, that meets that need or that recommendation. Um, and and we, we see it in Velocities too. Our product is selling four to five times faster than any other product in the baby food space, refrigerated or on the shelf. ¿Sigues cocinando inventando o es, ahora es más para el executive chef? Sigo inventando. Ah, okay. es, es mi pasión. Okay. Eh, obviamente manejando la compañía todavía, es el, el mayor, la mayor parte de mi tiempo es eh, ventas, eh, operaciones y manejando el, al equipo pequeño que tenemos ahora. Eh, pero, pero inventar es lo que más me gusta. So, uh, ahorita acabamos de lanzar un sabor, el, uno de los sabores nuevos hace un mes. En noviembre vamos a lanzar otro sabor de papilla nuevo que es espárragos con... 
ay, no sé cómo se dice en español, con leaks. Con, sure. puerros, puerros. con puerros, puerros, con puerros. Acuérdate que el puerro es el mejor amigo del hombre. <risa> bueno, leaks, asparagus con leaks vamos a lanzar ahora y acabamos de lanzar un toddler snack line también eh, que yo espero que en la próxima semana esté disponible en Amazon Prime que son, es el mismo concepto de la papilla pero eh, este no es refrigerado, es shelf stable y son freeze dried vegetables y frutas que son sazonadas. Pues si sacas la papilla de espinacas con garbanzos, en Sevilla, España, te sales por, por los bordes. <risa> Me encanta esa combinación. En el, en el in the incubator, the Chobani incubator, mm -hmm. did any of these, did, did one of these ideas hatch there in the incubator? Not, not on the innovation side. I, okay. that, that just comes, I mean, I, I, it's sort of in my head and, and then when I have an idea, I, I put it to work and we find people who can do it for us. But the but Chobani has really helped in 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 helping us standardize a lot of what we do. Um, it has helped us focus a lot on you know like safety and production and finding the right partners for manufacturing um, processes, operations. So it, it's helped us formalize our business okay. in a way that we probably. Uh, wouldn't have thought of doing this early on um, had we not had their support. And I realize we should back, I should, should have asked you to back up for a second. For listeners who don't know what the Chobani Incubator is, can you just explain what it is, when you started, and how it works? Yeah, so uh, the Chobani Incubator is a program for startup food companies. They now have a tech program, but initially it was for, for startup food companies. They look at companies all over the U.S., uh, anywhere from six to 700 companies apply, and then they pick anywhere from six to eight to be part of the program. Their whole focus, they give every single one of the companies an equity-free grant to help continue to grow the business. And then in addition to that, they do a four-month training program. And that's, that's $25,000? It is, okay. correct. Okay. And then, and then in addition to that, it's a four-month training program where they connect you with their executives To train on different areas that are critical to your business. Saskia, muchas gracias y muy buena suerte con, con todas tus ideas y con todo tu negocio. Gracias a ustedes. Well, we were talking about food earlier, and I and I, was, I still had food on the brain. You know, we have these delicious smelling donuts in the studio. What are these things over here? Uh, Marranitos, ¿no? Marranitos. Aunque well, los, los ha llamado otra cosa ella, cochinitos. Yeah, cochinitos. Cochinitos. And yeah. we, were, we were trying to figure out, like, what is going on with food right now in, in the United States and around the world. There's, like, the search for natural food, authentic food. No one can really define what natural or authentic mean, but there's, there's, there's all this demand from people to eat things that they recognize or they recognize the ingredients or they're willing to pay a little bit more or they're willing to pay a bit, little bit less or they're willing to grind up grasshoppers. And, También hay una conciencia a lo mejor, ¿no? De, de respetar el, el ambiente uh -huh. más de lo que había anteriormente. Quiero decir, cuando el hombre empieza a, a disfrutar de la gastronomía, el hombre se come el paisaje, lo que hacían los... Entonces, si tú vivías en un sitio donde había cacao, pues te hacías un chocolate. Uh -huh. Y si vivías en un sitio donde había gambas, pues te las hacías al ajillo. Pero la gente de que no vivía en Galicia no tomaba gambas todos los días. Y la gente que no vivía en, en Costa Rica no se hacía un chocolate todos, todas las mañanas. De repente hemos llegado a un mundo en el que todo puede estar en el supermercado. Ya no tienes que esperar que sea primavera para tomar fresas, porque hay fresas en otro lugar del planeta, y tú en el supermercado puedes comprar fresas. Yo creo que esa conciencia 
eh, por muchos motivos y por mucha gente que ha trabajado el slow food movement, mucha otra gente que ha trabajado en este sentido, eh, empieza a calar en la gente, ¿no? Entonces, a lo mejor la gente mm, piensa que no tiene por qué tomar fresas todos los días, ¿no? Que a lo mejor hay que esperar a la temporada. Creo que tiene un encanto lo de volver al, al producto de temporada a entender, you know, por qué hay conejo en el mes de febrero y no lo hay en el, en el mes de julio y, y, y a disfrutar de eso. Creo que hay una tendencia, pero todavía seguramente es muy elitista y muy académica. La gente de la calle supongo que sigue yendo al stop and shop and, and whatever is there well, available. You know? You're talking about the consciousness, consciousness of people um, about sustainability too, uh, I think. Is, yeah. You know, yeah, people are starting to be more aware of what is the impact um, of of buying food from far away and how long can we really keep doing that but i think that chefs at top restaurants have always tried to shop local and fresh because that's that's where you're going to get the best taste um and hopefully we're all coming around to that but we've also seen a lot more urban farms rising and um i always seen a lot of uh, farmers market uh, markets more than ever in this country And bigger and bigger and right. people more excited and and a lot, a lot and willing willing to pay five dollars for a tomato. And a lot of a lot of young people trying to be farmers. Exactly. And a lot which, of encouragement. Which is really important because uh, now Uh, what I've been reading lately is that farmers are kind of aging out, and so they're trying really hard to initiate programs. For example, there's one with veterans um, now to become farmers and, and getting special grants so that uh, that could be a line of work when they, you know, get out of the military. Um, so. Hay muchas fórmulas, la verdad. En, en Red Hook, New York, hay una fórmula eh, que están aplicando muy interesante y es que los granjeros realmente con el dinero que ganan de su trabajo no pueden mantener un nivel de vida respetable. Lo que hacen es, estas organizaciones es comprar lo que es uh, development rights, los derechos de construir, eh, para, que para que no los tengan ellos y les dan un dinero. Con ese dinero pueden vivir de manera respetable, pueden seguir siendo granjeros pero no les pueden vender la granja a una compañía que quiera hacer condominios o quiera hacer casitas en ese sitio. O sea, va a seguir siendo una granja. Eh, cada vez hay más inventos y más fórmulas para, para preservar, porque hace falta que hay, alguien sea granjero, que alguien sea agricultor. Bueno, ¿qué? ¿Nos vamos o qué? Nos tenemos que ir, ¿no? Nos vamos yeah, a ir, nos vamos yeah. a ir. Eh, ¿cómo, ¿Cómo se llama este programa, por cierto? Uh, había un, una pregunta sobre el lenguaje. ¿Qué vas a preguntar? Oh, yeah, I was just going to bring up a word that, uh, if you're learning English, I think it's something for you to be aware of. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. And that's disrupt and disruptive, because that has always had a negative connotation until recently. And now I see it everywhere as, you know, so and so, this company is a disruptor, but it yeah. has a positive spin, like, oh, we're creating something new, and this is so cool. Venture capitalists really want... They love that yeah. word. They love that yeah. word. and you Disruptor? Disruptor, yeah. yes. Yeah. And I just see it so all it's cool. the it's time. So it's cool to be a disruptor now? Apparently, it means you're very innovative, right? Uh -huh. Am I right about that, uh -huh. Nick? Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah it's a revolutionario. Well, you can, you can, you know, you can change an industry, you can reinvent an industry, you can disrupt an yes. industry. Yes. Which reminds me, Selena Gomez, uh, I think in our last episodio, hablamos de Selena Gomez. Dijimos que era la segunda, ¿no? 
Pero es la primera. Al final, Lisa, Lisa ha hecho sus, sus ah, deberes. Tenía razón, Alfie. Eh, eh, Alfie, sí. tenía, Alfie tenía toda la razón. So, ¿Y, ¿Y cuántos mm -hmm. tiene? How many followers has Selena Gomez? 143 million. 143 million. Yeah, okay. 143 million. Well, that was, that was last week on Instagram. Okay. 143 million followers. That's just a lot of followers. Okay. So, is she a disruptor? She's a disruptor. Okay. Yeah. I thought a uh, disruptor was a dinosaur. No, it's not a disruptor. <laughs> That's a disruptor. No, <laughs> oh, okay. She has much longer arms. You see, you see how complicated it's English. So, yeah. what's the difference between disruptor and disruptor? Well, I think, I think, I think on that note, we should, we should say, don't interrupt me, por favor. And, and I'm gonna go eat because after all this talk oh. of food, I'm yeah, you, starving. You should follow us on Twitter on at, at interrupt show. Um, maybe you'll find us on Instagram, uh, and uh, we're gonna eat some donuts. And adios. Adiós. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.